Our second scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Hear God's word to us today. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough oil for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us and mold us. Fill us and use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on each one of us. Amen. How about I begin with the good news? Uh, the last time this strange text came up in the lectionary, it was 2017, and back then it just so happened to coincide with some well-publicized predictions from Christian numerologist David Mead about when the world was going to end. At the time, well, obviously it didn't happen, and so Mead clarified his prediction that the apocalypse had, in fact, been, like the bridegroom, delayed. <laughs> As it turned out, the mysterious planet that was set to collide with the Earth, or perhaps just passed by so closely that it would trigger volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, and earthquakes, it will still happen at some point. That date back in 2017 only marked what he said was the beginning of the end of the end. But there is some more good news. The next future prediction about the apocalypse buys us at least a couple of more years till November 13th, 2026, which is the date that a 1960 issue of Science Magazine predicted that humanity would end due to overpopulation. If the world were to end sometime soon, I don't think overpopulation will be the reason. But like Jesus says, keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Just what are we to make of these words, this apocalyptic eschatological promise from Matthew 25? Do we just dismiss them the way we typically do, the words of some random Christian numerologist? One commentator writes, one of the themes that is dear to Matthew's heart is the theme of anticipation of coming judgment. It's important for him to emphasize to his community two things with regard to Jesus' return. One is that they do not know when it will come, so speculation is futile. 
The second is that it will come. So preparation is crucial. Still, what are we to make of these words, these words that hardly sound like the Jesus we know and love, right? The Jesus who Matthew also said welcomed the little children and pronounced blessing upon the poor in spirit and the meek and the merciful and the peacemakers. When Jesus, oh, excuse me, when Peter asked Jesus how many times he's supposed to offer forgiveness to someone who sinned against him seven times, Jesus says, no, not seven times. Try 77 times. And then he goes on to tell a different parable that also begins like this one. The kingdom of God is like this. And he offers a story about forgiveness and compassion and mercy. So where is the forgiveness and the compassion and the mercy in this story? What are we to make of these words? What are we to think about a Savior who says, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. We don't know when it will come, so speculation is futile. But it will come. So preparation is crucial. Now, I would venture to say that most of us are the kind of people who value preparation, who Think ahead and, and expect that the unexpected might happen. We make contingency plans so that if the bridegroom is late, we will have all of the oil that we will need. I mean, doesn't that just sound so responsible, so reasonable, so Presbyterian? <laughs> Could we say that Presbyterians would probably, hopefully, be among the wise ones, the ones who have a well-managed investment fund of reserve oil with them, just in case? Could we agree that that's not a bad thing? And yet maybe there is a little tinge of uneasiness we might feel toward the foolish ones. Some of us might call it guilt. Maybe we feel sorry for the ones who didn't plan ahead, who came to the party without enough, and who are now left outside the door, unable to come in. And the bridegroom didn't have to be so harsh about keeping the door shut, but at least we're on the inside. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? I never knew this about these lamps, that in that ancient culture, weddings, uh, the feast, it would be held at night. And that the bridegroom often did delay coming for the bride, and that he was often met with these lamps. These lamps helped point the way, a sort of festive procession of glowing light in the darkness. It's interesting that in the parable that Jesus tells right before this one, the parable of the unfaithful or the, the, the faithful, unfaithful slaves, the master comes back sooner than the slaves had anticipated and found him abusing his powers. But then in this parable, the bridegroom comes later than the bridesmaids had anticipated. It sort of reinforces this idea that you never really know the day or the hour. Rabbi Eliezer taught his disciples, repent one day before your death. One of them asked, how then will we know what day it is? To which he replied, all the more reason to repent today, lest you die tomorrow. <laughs> Speculation is futile, but preparation 
is crucial. And I suppose that begs the question, how do we prepare ourselves for a day and an hour that we can never really know, with or without the help of Christian numerologists and their doomsday predictions? And just what kind of preparation are we talking about here anyway? Preaching professor Anna Carter Florence tells the story of a lecture given to students at her seminary about the spiritual life of the Christian. And one time during this lecture, she says, we brought in an oil lamp, the kind with the wick and the real oil in the bottom as a visual aid. We talked about how the role of a Christian is to be a light for others, the light of the world. Then we lit the wick and we watched the lamp burn. But, and here was the rigged part, because there was only a tiny bit of oil in the lamp, it only burned for a few moments. We asked the students, she says, what happens when the oil runs out? Well, then the lamplight goes out and you have nothing to give. And a Christian with no oil, she says, can't be the light of the world for anybody, no matter how much they want to. A Christian with no oil can't be the light of the world for anybody, no matter how much they might want to. fills you up spiritually when you run dry? What replenishes your oil? Where do you find God and how do you make sure you can get enough of that oil for your lamp so that God can fill you up again? How do you make sure that you have enough, enough of that precious oil to make sure that your light keeps shining? Because we all know that time and again, we're going to run dry, aren't we? We'll get to one of those days when we're just tired and frustrated. When the demands of your job or, or maybe the weight of family life bears down on your shoulders. When the needs of others or, or simply just the state of the world and all its divisiveness and hostility, it all just feels like too much. And we run dry. We literally burn out. The more I think about it, the less I believe that this parable is about repenting for the end of days. As it is about, as if Jesus might be like locking us out of the kingdom of heaven. No, I think maybe it's about something that the wise ones might know. As Anna Carter Florence says, that the time will come when you have to draw on the oil that you have, right, right there on your own body and your own flask. And it's not going to come from your retirement savings, and it's not going to come from your good intentions and your long-range plans. It isn't going to come from a new car or designer clothes or luxury vacations, which is kind of sad because I love all of those things. But what makes us able to bear the state of the world, able to keep our lamps burning, is what fuels us spiritually right now. It's where we see God today and tomorrow and the day after that. For we know neither the day nor the hour. 
I actually think that this parable is about being wise and recognizing the need to keep ourselves full of that precious oil day after day after day. And because this is church, I hope that this is a place that fuels you spiritually, a place where you can find yourselves full of this oil that keeps you from burning out. A place where you come to know, love, and serve God and others in the name of Jesus Christ. And if it is, and because this is stewardship season, and I'm just going to say it once, (laughs) I hope that you'll consider supporting the work of this church with a commitment to our giving campaign. Next Sunday is the day when we will receive these commitments during worship, and you can fill out the commitment card and bring it or, or do it online. It helps us to determine our budget for the year ahead. And we are entirely dependent on your generosity and the generosity of those who have gone before us which means that if this place does fuel you spiritually, if you get the sense that that God meets you here in worship or in our people, in our programs, I hope you will respond to God's grace generously as well. Because that's what it is, right? It's not the stuff that fuels us. As much as we might love the stuff, It's God's grace that keeps us from burning out. Frederick Buechner says, A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing, I love the way he says this, he says, there's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might not have ever been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. And here is the world, and beautiful and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid because I'm with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It is for you that I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch, Beatner says. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and you take it. I worry sometimes that I repeat myself too much. Talking about how much God loves us, loves us beyond measure, that God's gift of grace is to us. But I suspect that we need to hear it again and again because time and again we all run dry. My prayer is that we become that we, wise enough to remember what it is that keeps us from burning out. It is the grace of God that fuels us spiritually so that we can live our lives in response to it, moment by moment, day after day, remembering that life is a gift. God's grace is a gift. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing we have to do. except to reach out and take it. Thanks be to God. Amen.